Don't Miss a Beat is a podcast series brought to you by the law firm of Saul Ewing, Arnstein & Lear that covers views from diverse constituencies within the food, beverage, and agribusiness, also known as FBA, sector. Hosted by Jonathan Havens and Kermit Nash, co-chairs of the firm's FBA group, episode guests offer various perspectives on a variety of legal, policy, and industry developments, day-to-day FBA issues, best practices, and the road ahead. Thank you so much for joining us for our food, beverage, and agribusiness podcast series, Don't Miss a Beat. My name is Jonathan Havens, and I'm the co-chair of Saul Ewing, Arnstein, and Lear's food, beverage, and agribusiness practice, as well as the firm's cannabis law practice, and I'm based in our Baltimore and Washington, D.C. offices. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Stuart Lindsay, who is Vice President of Corporate Responsibility and Sustainability at Campbell Soup Company. In this role, he is responsible for corporate responsibility and sustainability, partnering with teams throughout the business to deliver on their purpose and achieve ag, climate, and water, and packaging, and other goals. Prior to joining Campbell, Stuart served as the Managing Director of Corporate Engagement at the Nature Conservancy, where he had responsibility for developing and managing major corporate partnerships. And prior to that, he spent 15 years at Bungie Limited, an agribusiness and food company where he held positions of increasing responsibility, ultimately serving as Vice President, Sustainability, and Government Affairs. Stuart, thanks so much for joining us in today's episode. We're thrilled to have you. I've really enjoyed getting to know you in uh, the lead up to the podcast recording. And I understand, as I said in your intro, that you came to Campbell from the Nature Conservancy and that you have prior experience in the food and agribusiness industries. Can you give our listeners some background on how your past experience has shaped your vision for how Campbell continues to address its ESG-related goals? Yes, thanks, Jonathan. It's great to be here, and I'm happy to join the podcast. It's a great question. So I, I did previously work at TNC and before that at Bungie. Campbell has a great foundation in sustainability and in ESG. There's been a lot of great work done by the predecessors that sat in this role, by the current management team, really strong governance, the company addresses material topics. It has a history of working in its own operations and its supply chain. So in the first instance, I was really excited to join back in December of, of 2021 and to dig in and see what the next era of, of the work of this company could be. So as you said, I focus primarily on the environmental sustainability side. So I'll focus on that today in my comments. Um, when I worked at Bungie, we were an ag and food company, trading, processing. We actually made some consumer products in certain uh, markets around the world, mainly in Eastern Europe and Latin America and in Asia. So we saw a, a lot of points on the value chain, but the preponderance of the business was as a supplier to CPG, to food service companies. So um, we really got a, a deep taste on the sustainability side of, of the issues and the opportunities that lay in the middle of the value chain and up to the farm gate. At TNC, we partnered with a lot of different companies on what I would call practical projects. So our job and our the concept behind the, the team with which I worked was how can we help integrate nature into companies, businesses and into their operating models in a way that has the dual benefit of being good for the business, but also having an impact on the environment, biodiversity, climate, water, um, and all of the other important goals. So in a sense, I've been spending a lot of time in the food and ag value chain from different perspectives. 
And it's an integrated value chain. Most of the work that you do in sustainability, it doesn't just rest in one part of it. It's all of it is influenced by another to achieve impact on water or, or climate for a company like that. But we have to work ultimately with farmers to do that. So that means working generally with a supplier or an intermediary or more than one intermediary. It may be working with a technology company. So th that experience, I believe, has given me the opportunity to you know, look at the value chain in a holistic way and start to also understand some of the trends that I've been observing from different perspectives for a long time. There are a couple, maybe three trends that I think are important for any company working in this space. And the future will be you know, predicated a lot on how we navigate through these evolving issues. One of them is that um, you know, consumers are more aware of sustainable food and agriculture than they used to be. They're embracing it more. And, and that's not universal. It's not that every consumer in every place or that every product has the same natural exposure to that. But it's happening. The data seem to, to show uh, consistently that consumers are more interested in the way things are produced and what the sustainability profile of that food is. The second trend is that you see a significant investment over the past decade, certainly in how you can measure that, how you can monitor what's happening in the value chain, um, how you can innovate around that. There's a lot of investment in ag tech, as you know, a lot of investment in technology and data and satellite monitoring, all of these things that uh, the confluence of which mean that um, it's, it's easier today to observe, to measure, to, 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 to quantify, to assure what's happening in a value chain than it used to be. And that means that you can meet some of those consumer demands or, or shifting demands of other stakeholders in different ways. The third trend really is the development, although still nascent in many ways on the ag and food side of environmental markets. Um, a lot of effort been done on this on the rules side, on the accounting side, on the project management side, developing different protocols, <clears throat> different credit possibilities, insetting possibilities. So consumers more interested, technology and data more plentiful, and a move towards pricing environmental assets in a new way in this value chain. And all of those things really intersect in interesting ways, I think, for any participant in this value chain. And certainly as a, a downstream company, thinking about how you navigate through that in a way that can make an impact and issues that matter, that can have a business value, and that can complement the core business, which is creating food that people trust, that nourishes them, and that they enjoy consuming. That's so great. That's what I'll be spending my time on over the next uh, little while, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, no, no shortage of, of things to attend to. It's a, it's a broad portfolio, but that was really great, especially hearing about the, the trends. And I know in, in our work with clients, talking about what consumers want and their expectations has become quite big. And the availability of data and tech to monitor the, the areas that you're talking about, it, it's great, right? That companies can leverage that. But I think it's to the point where consumers expect a certain level of information. And if you don't provide it, it can be you know, a competitive disadvantage. So it's really great to hear about all the, the things you're doing on, on those fronts. So switching gears a little bit, could you share a little bit? I, I've been reading up on Campbell's ESG framework, and there seem to be some key focus points. I think you all call them the key pillars of your framework. Can you talk a little bit about what those pillars are? Sure. Uh, we have 
we do have a, an established framework that really guides the work. I, I would just start by saying the foundation of it, of those four pillars, the base on which they rest is strong governance. And Campbell has a has a strong and defined governance approach towards ESG, towards sustainability. We have a governance committee of the board that oversees this activity. My team and, and others have regular discussions with them about these topics. The full board is obviously engaged. And we report up to the general counsel, our chief ESG and governance officer. So we have a sustainability steering committee internally made up of business leads. So we have a structure in place that enables the business to look at this in a smart way and for the governance to be done on a regular and consistent manner. So that's really the foundation of those pillars. The four pillars are trusted food, vibrant communities, thriving people, and healthy environment. Within those are, are, are different activities. So let me just pull back and maybe talk thematically about what populates those. On the environment side, we have a very strong framework of goals and initiatives that's been running for a long time. If you think about some of the larger buckets where we, we have a new science-based target that we announced this year, so emissions reduction goals that for our own operations plus our supply chain, We've had uh, a long-time commitment in the sustainable ag space, working with tomato growers directly on drip irrigation, water reduction, irrigation reduction. Um, but we have a broader sustainable sourcing approach that involves purchasing 50% of our key commodities from farmers that are engaged in sustainable ag programs. We have waste reduction goals. We have water reduction goals. So if you think about it in, in that on the environmental side, we have a, a, a really broad a, array of initiatives that speak to the material aspects for our business. On the social side, longstanding engagement in, in communities where we operate. We've done a lot of work on uh, school nutrition, making sure that's burgeoning in places where we operate. And of course, on the strong commitment to DEI, to talent, to ensuring that our employees are have a great way to work and that we're attracting and developing diverse talent. So the HR team does considerable work on that. And all of this really adds up to what we call delivering on the promise of our purpose, which is connecting people through the food they love. So I think when I look at it, I see a foundation that's broad, that's hitting the right material areas, that's leaning in in important places. But what I find compelling about it is that it's something that's grown up from the roots of the company. If you think about our engagement on the agricultural supply, um, you know, that's obviously been a core part of the company is procuring directly from farmers. This is since the inception of the company. If you think about the connection to the community, if you think about the values-based approach towards talent, all of that really comes straight from the history of the company and the long roots of it. So I think uh, it's quite compelling in that regard. Absolutely. Right. I think ESG is a newer phrase to some people, but it's certainly helpful that as you're talking about, the company's been looking at a lot of these these initiatives for quite some time. So it's not like they're just coming to it fresh. While many people might be learning about ESG for the first time lately, certainly not something that the company is looking at for the first time. So that's obviously great. So I looked at the company's corporate responsibility report, and it's a pretty impressive document. Could you tell listeners who might not be familiar with that report or what a report like that might even contain? What's in there and how does it fit in the company's ESG efforts? 
Sure. So every two years, we put out what I would call kind of the compendium report, which contains a lot of information about uh, what we're doing, including a lot of qualitative information, deep dives on some of the areas of focus, stories, plus a variety of metrics and reporting frameworks. Uh, and then in between, we do a lot of updates on the metric side, on the framework side. So this year was a big report year and delighted to have it out. It came out in March and hopefully it's, it's useful and informative to folks and also contains some information that might prompt new ideas. I think like many companies, we're you know, this has been an evolving space, ESG reporting, sustainability reporting. So like many companies, I think we're always thinking about well, what's the information that we can provide that's most useful, that tells the story in the best way, that's factually solid and applicable for people who may be looking at this, trying to understand the company better or make decisions based on it. So we've been integrating over time. Obviously, we have the GRI index. We've been uh, integrating this year, TCFD index, SASB, UN Global Compact reporting. So there are ways that externally people can see, well, this is information that is, I, I know the framework, it's something I can use easily. It may be comparable in some cases, but primarily it's something that's accessible and, and easy to use and informative. So uh, that's the journey we've been on. In addition to doing some other types of reporting that most people are familiar with, be it CDP or what have you. So um, you know, we're trying to evolve the reporting and in, in a way that is informative, but also useful and accessible. This year, a couple of the bigger things that we focus on, obviously the science-based target that we announced at the same time as we put out our report, um, 42% reduction in scopes one and two emissions, 25% reduction in our scope three emission. We have some new nutrition information and metrics that we put in this year. We've done deeper analysis on our uh, water risk, so looking at basin level risk from supply and from operations, that's in this year's report. We did kind of what I would call kind of a capstone summary of some of the community engagement work that's moving into a, a, a new phase and a new era, a new exciting program. And obviously on the talent, on the DEI side, on talking about how our employees are working together, we spent quite a bit of time on that. And, and of course, COVID is a topic that was also referenced. So the opportunity with reports like this is to have it be a reflection of the company. And I think this year is a powerful reflection of the things that we're doing, the longstanding commitments that we've made and the direction the company's taking. So we're pleased with it. That's fantastic. Yeah, and so kind of dovetailing off the direction the company's taking, can you talk a bit about where do you see the future of, of the company as it relates to the ever-changing landscape of ESG? Sure. Yeah, you know, we, we have this strong foundation and ESG topics are being managed and governed at, at multiple levels of the enterprise. So we'll be building off that strong foundation. I think in many ways we'll be updating and refining uh, the programs that we have, making sure that we're doing things you know, as efficiently as possible, integrating in these new opportunities that we talked about earlier, trying to make sure that we have progressively better insights into the issues that matter and ensuring, I think always with an eye towards the, the connectivity to the business. So uh, ensuring that we're making an impact where it matters on the topics on which we can have an influence that are relevant to the business and in our operations, but also in a way that creates value 
for the business, presents new opportunities. So I think that's the intersection that we're looking to really focus on. If we can see consumers continue, as I mentioned earlier, continue to be engaged in these topics, if we see environmental markets grow, if we see the data trends go the way they were, I think you'll see that intersection expand, right? There should be more opportunities for value creation and impact in in particular projects and strategies. So I think we'll be looking for ways to engage and invest in those opportunities in the best way, ensuring that we're, you know, making a difference for the business, for the communities and our partners. That's great. So we're almost out of time, but a few minutes ago, I made the comment based on your great insight into how Campbell looks at ESG now and how it's been really evaluating some of these ESG themes for, frankly, quite a while before ESG was an invoked term. But for listeners who might be with a company that's just starting to look at ESG, maybe a smaller, you know, an emerging company, what guidance would you provide to another agribusiness or food company on how to create and deploy an, an ESG framework if they're starting from scratch? I know that's a, a loaded question, but you've obviously been walking this walk for a long time, both at Campbell and in your prior positions. But for someone that's starting to think about these in these industries, what would you recommend or what, what guidance would you provide? That's a great question. Well, it certainly is an evolving space. So there is a lot going on. And I think the question's a good one for that reason. I guess I've observed, and I don't think this is a unique observation, but I've observed over the time I've been involved in this, where you've really seen an evolution of these topics from what I would call the anecdotal to the institutional, where they've gone from being where, uh, good stories, good projects, good impact, but maybe not necessarily always integrated into the day-to-day operations of the company or finding that connection to the business value and, and the results of the company. So that progression it keeps moving, I think, in a positive way, because ultimately these things should be integrated as closely as possible. So in that sense, if you're starting fresh, there's an advantage in that there's been a lot of work done on this and a lot of frameworks, a lot of lenses that you can apply to look at things in an informed way. It's probably not that much different than if you were starting some other element of an enterprise or a business in just asking some of those basic strategic questions, which is, because the landscape is broad, because there are a lot of opportunities, because company and and sectors intersect with a lot of different issues. I, I think the key is to apply some of those basic strategic questions, which is where should we play in this area? What defines success? And what are the assets that we can either bring today or that to succeed, we will need to acquire to achieve goals? And really working hard to kind of define down the the key areas where you can have an impact and create value for the business. Again, I think that'd be similar if you were starting a new venture or starting a new element of an enterprise. So I would over-index on that type of analysis, on mapping it out, stress testing those ideas, and doing that in really in close collaboration with key business leaders, key areas of a business, be it sales or operations or marketing or finance, what have you, HR, and really over-indexing on that too, over-indexing on on that engagement with the business. Because I think through those types of processes, by taking a hard look at that, you'll surface those opportunities that you can have both an impact that resonates with consumers, with stakeholders, that's meaningful to the business, that has potentially a higher return on investment, be it operationally or be it from a sales generation 
perhaps perspective. And I think having that kind of clear-eyed knowledge about where the company should invest and where it can have the biggest impact is really critical to moving forward. And it's also critical when you're having further on engagements with external stakeholders. So if I had to start over from scratch, that's what I would do. That's great. Really, really terrific answer. I love the point you made about the transition from anecdotal to institutional. I think that's really a great kind of observation about where things have gone in this space. But I really appreciate that answer. I'm sure our listeners who are starting to approach ESG issues, maybe for the first time, will really benefit a lot from that. So the last, the last point I might make is it's never too early to have good governance structure in place, a formal governance structure that enables the right decisions to be made, the right oversight to be put in. So if you are starting afresh, that strategic analysis and, and over-indexing on the engagement with the company, and then B, start off with the governance framework that you think will work best or take examples from external and put it in place. The sooner that's there, the better off the whole process will be. Right. Yep. No, it's a great point. There are a lot of resources out there. People need not reinvent the wheel, so to speak, right? They can make the wheel work best for their organization. So, well, Stuart, look, I really can't thank you enough. I've learned a tremendous amount. I know our listeners have as well. Really appreciate your time and your insight and you sharing your fantastic experience with us. We want to encourage our listeners to to tune in on future episodes, and we look forward to having you on another um, episode on Don't Miss a Beat. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for listening to this episode of Don't Miss a Beat, brought to you by the law firm of Saul Ewing, Arnstein & Lear. Please be sure to subscribe to hear more podcast episodes related to developments in the food, beverage, and agriculture industry. 